artificial intelligence, a threat to IT or its protector, and a deep dive into the NotPetya ransomware attack. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. In the past few years, artificial intelligence, or AI, has taken a big leap. What was once in the realm of science fiction has become day-to-day reality. That's Charlie Rose introducing a 60 Minutes segment this past week on artificial intelligence. AI has been getting a lot of exposure recently. New stories on AI seem to be popping up everywhere, where most of the attention on AI has zeroed in on advances in areas such as driverless cars, or as in the 60 Minutes episode, cancer diagnosis, artificial intelligence is and will have an impact on information security and risk analysis as well. It's basically security is getting smarter. Machine learning, artificial intelligence is very much changing the landscape. That's Gartner's distinguished analyst, Aviva Leighton. Over the next few minutes, we'll take a look at how AI and machine learning pose a threat to information systems, as well as how they can be used to help defend critical digital assets. Simply AI allows computers to mimic human intelligence, and in part, it's been propelled in recent years by machine learning. Machine learning provides computers with the ability to learn without being explicitly programmed. Machine learning focuses on the development of computer programs that can change when exposed to new data. A red flag on AI's threat to information systems was raised in a just-published article posted on LinkedIn by AI and cybersecurity expert Eberhard Schoenberg. Schoenberg says AI could be used to create what he calls robo-hackers. He writes, The robo-hackers would not work like human hackers anymore, but rather work with smart, distributed, intelligent algorithms that can be launched anonymously from some remote corner of the Earth. They would have special intelligence for hiding themselves and destroying all critical traces automatically that could lead to their detection. With robo-hackers at work, catching and identifying the human culprits behind them will become a near-impossible task for any law enforcement entity in the future. Schoenberg says RoboHacker 2.0 will pose even a greater threat thanks to machine learning. He writes, the more hackers and the more hacks, the more data for RoboHackers 2.0 to learn from. They can even learn from failed hacks, maybe more than from successful ones, as the failed hacks show what kind of information was available and what info was not available for the hack when it failed. That indicates to RoboHacker 2.0 that it needs to seek further information about the target system before trying a new hack. We're not at RoboHackers 2.0 yet, but AI is being employed by hackers. Here's former federal prosecutor Bill Fox. He's now vice president at the database company MarkLogic. What is most disturbing is that whatever innovations are made in analytics, artificial intelligence, they'll be used by hackers in the same way that they'll be used by cybersecurity experts. One thing that I was looking at recently said hackers will start to use AI. Once they get in and they can see your email, they can start to draft phishing emails that really sound like they're coming from people that you know and are about subjects that you get emails about. But when you get an email from someone that you might actually know that says, yeah, I'm working on this deck for the conference, can you take a look at it? And then you open it and that's it, they're in. So I think the methodologies that they're using are much subtler. When we return, AI as a way to defend critical IT assets. 
if we look at it from the pure security standpoint, then very many security leaders are, are really excited about what AI can bring. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report. ISMG's Global Summit Series will be taking place at the Marriott Marquis in New York on August 8th and 9th. Learn more about what to do in the wake of WannaCry. Hear from subject matter experts on ransomware, endpoint detection, malware, and more. Visit events.ismg.io and register today. If we look at it from the pure security standpoint, then very many security leaders are, are really excited about what AI can bring. That's Steve Durbin. He's Managing Director of the Industry Group Information Security Forum, addressing AI's defensive capabilities in an ISF podcast. Why? Because trying to identify perhaps different insider patterns, the, the way in which threat actors might be able to get at our information, break through our defenses and so on, those are all things that lend themselves very readily to an artificial intelligence machine learning type environment because we can play out different scenarios. We can look at the ways in which we can perhaps anticipate some of those things. And that really is the holy grail from a security standpoint. We're trying to anticipate so that we can put in place means of either prevention or mitigation come the day that those sorts of things happening. Naveen Budaraja is Senior Vice President of Architecture and Technology at IT Outsourcer Infosys. In an interview with Healthcare Info Security's Marianne Kolbasak-McGee, Budaraja expands on Durbin's point. So the thing about AI is this ability to actually just look at vast amount of data, right, be it structured, be it unstructured. So how do you look at this somewhat very large amounts of data? Not necessarily knowing what you're looking for, but still try to actually find interesting patterns in there, right? Patterns around who's accessing what, is their behavior uh, expected or anomalous, and so on. But as Durbin says, the caveat around using AI as a cyber defensive tool is the assumption that the data being fed into the system is correct and that no flaws have been introduced. We have to ensure that the integrity of information that we are both providing into a machine learning or an AI environment is assured. It's that old adage, isn't it? You know, rubbish in, rubbish out. If we are unsure of the integrity of the information that we're putting into that environment, we should also be unsure of the output. We need to be viewing, I think, the overall process from the perspective that says just how comfortable am I with the information that is being used? Can I ensure and assure the integrity of that data at all different stages as it goes through this process? And let's just apply that final review of it at the end stage that says, okay, am I sufficiently comfortable to be able to then take this business information forward and make solid business decisions based upon it? But the reality is, of course, that the more information we put into these machines, the better the quality of the data that we're going to get out of them, the better, therefore, of our decision making, and the better they will get in terms of identifying anomalies and, and providing us with the sort of information that will really allow us to explore whole areas that, that perhaps we haven't been able to up until now. And that applies both on the security side of the house, but also, very much more importantly, perhaps on the business side. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. The latest ransomware that's plaguing companies around the globe is having a branding problem. Some experts call it Petya because it's based on the malware first seen in 2016. But the latest version is a variant of Petya, so some are calling it not Petya. Still, others have given it the moniker GoldenEye. Sort of Petya. Petna, Expeter, and my favorite, Netya. Regardless of the name, I'll use not Petya in this report, the ransomware, if that's really what it is, continues to spread havoc worldwide. 
Not Petya surfaced this past week, a month and a half after the WannaCry ransomware attack struck. WannaCry froze 230,000 computers in more than 150 countries. Some security experts tied the WannaCry hackers to North Korea, and according to one report, those hackers received more than $130,000 from victims to unfreeze their computers. NotPetya, in some respects, is nothing like WannaCry. True, like WannaCry, it froze victims' computers. Here's ISMG security and technology editor Jeremy Kirk. This sort of attack that has a lot of sort of odd things, it doesn't appear to be aimed at making money. It's made a lot of mistakes in the payment structure. Sort of indicates that maybe somebody is testing out something else or merely trying to do a show of force, really, of what they can do. Some experts have been saying that this appears to be aimed at wreaking destruction on computers with the ransomware, just sort of a a distraction and perhaps something that's designed to generate media attention. Security experts recommend that to prevent being victimized by ransomware, operating systems must be patched. In WannaCry and NotPetya, that would be Microsoft Windows. But that's easier said than done. Chris Busey is Chief Information Security Officer of the state government in Minnesota. And after the NotPetya attack, he tweeted, Just patch seems to be the theme yet again. But what sounds simple is not always the case in complex environments with lots of legacy. And though patching vulnerable operating systems does reduce the risk of being victimized by ransomware, that wasn't necessarily the case with NotPetya. Blame server message block, also known as SMB. SMB operates as an application layer network protocol. It's mainly used for providing shared access to files, printers, and serial ports, and various other communications nodes on an internal network. In NotPetya, The hackers exploited a flaw in SMB. Here's Data Breach Today editor Matt Schwartz. Once you know the flaw, you can design your own attack tool to target that flaw. And that's what attackers have done with the NotPetya ransomware outbreak. The way that you exploit the flaw is by sending a maliciously crafted packet to a computer connected to the internet that has SMB version 1 running on it. Here's Todd Beardsley of Rapid7. Really, any SMB is, is bad news on the internet. The internet is designed for literally everyone to connect to literally everyone else. Exposing SMB is to the internet, um, you know, we kind of draw this line in the sand where like that is just a bad idea. Um, like even if you have all the authentication in the world, even if you have all the cryptography in the world, SMB is just not appropriate for the internet. Unfortunately, with the recent NotPetya ransomware outbreak, it not only exploited SMB via the internet to get into networks, but once it was on an infected PC, it could then start island hopping. It could start going from PC to PC using tools and functionality built into Microsoft Windows. So it was a bit more complex, complicated than the WannaCry ransomware was. As the week draws to an end, damage from NotPetya is still being assessed. NotPetya locked thousands of computers, shuttering ports, factories, and offices in an estimated 60 countries. Finally, Kaspersky Lab. Can the Russian security software provider be trusted? A group of U.S. lawmakers doesn't think so. The Senate Armed Services Committee this week, in a funding bill, voted to prohibit the Defense Department from using software platforms developed by Kaspersky Lab due to reports that the Moscow company might be vulnerable to Russian government influence. Senator Jean Shaheen sponsored the provision and says a consensus is building in the U.S. government that Kaspersky Lab cannot be trusted to protect critical infrastructure, particularly computer systems vital to our nation's security. 
Kaspersky's trustworthiness came up at a Senate Intelligence Committee hearing last month when top U.S. security leaders responded to a question whether they'd be comfortable using Kaspersky products. Each responded no. Here's FBI Acting Director Andrew McCabe, followed by Senator Marco Rubio and National Intelligence Director Dan Coats. Very concerned about it, sir, and we are focused on it closely. Would any of you be comfortable with the Kaspersky Lab uh, software on your computers? A resounding no for me. The vote to prohibit the Defense Department from using Kaspersky wares comes as the FBI reportedly visited homes of some of the company's U.S. employees to question them about an investigation into Kaspersky. Some U.S. officials say company CEO Eugene Kaspersky has close ties to Russian intelligence, an allegation the company labels as false. In a statement, the company says neither Kaspersky nor Kaspersky Lab has ties to any government and has never helped nor will help any government in the world with any cyber espionage efforts. The statement echoes a comment Eugene Kaspersky made earlier this year to ABC News on whether he spy on American government agencies. My response, if I'm asked to spy on anyone coming from any state, any government, not only Russian, will be definitely no. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.